Hello, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Eric Javin, in for Nathan Staples this week, and joining me are guests Muhammad Ali and Philip Barshiel is here as always as well. Before we get to the weekend's action and have a look ahead to the Coupe de France semifinals, here are the weekend's results. On Friday, Marseille played their eighth nil-nil draw of the season away at Nancy, while PSG on Saturday kept the pressure up on Monaco with a 2-0 win against Montpellier, behind goals from Edwin Cavani and Angel Di Maria. Bordeaux continued their rise to the table with a 2-0 win against Bastia, with Yunus Sankare notching a goal and an assist as the visitors finished with 10 men. Not one away at Caen, Yassine Bamou notching a 2-0 win, and notching a double in a 2-0 win. Dijon kept up the pressure on those above them with a 3-2 win at home to Angers, Lois Dioni scoring twice and adding an assist. Lille won 3-0 at home to Gangot to move to 40 points and just about safety. Well, Lorient moved out of the relegation zone with a thumping 5-1 win over Metz. Jimmy Cabo, in for the injured Sylvain Marvo, led the way with two goals and two assists for their blue. On Sunday, Nice's title hopes may have finally disappeared as they could only draw to lose one all. Old Ben recorded the same result at Saint-Étienne in a match delayed due to crowd trouble after supporters forced their way into what had been a closed stadium. On Sunday's grand finale, I saw a rotated Leon fall 2-1 to Monaco in a nervy encounter for the leaders who now need just four wins from five to clinch the title. In Ligue 2, Brest's home loss to Amiens gave Ligue 2 a new leader as Strasbourg now topped the table, with Lens able to go three points clear in third with a win against Le Havre this evening. And that's all the news for now. Do be sure to follow us on Twitter at GFFN. Visit our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com to stay up to date on all the latest news and views from around French football. So... Mo, thank you for coming on. Uh, since you are our, our guest of honor, I do, did want to briefly address before we get into the show uh, some rumors that have broken via Sky Sports, and that is that Marseille are after uh, Olivier Giroud and Johan Kabay. I just wanted to get your take on not necessarily the credibility of those rumors, rumors are rumors, mm-hmm. but uh, in the larger picture, are those the sort of, sorts of players that Marseille in this new project should be chasing, or should they be looking at talent that's a little bit younger? Uh, Giroud's 31 in the fall. Uh, Kabai, I believe, is a year older than him. Mm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, as you said, rumours are rumours. So the credibility of it, you know, I think can still be questioned. But if that's the sort of sort of names that Marseille uh, are looking towards, then it is kind of, it puts a kind of a question uh, mark on the sort of transfer window, sort of the early stages of the project that Frank McCaw and the Marseille management are going for. Um, you know, Giroud... You know, he hasn't had the best season at Arsenal. Um, playing time has come at a premium. But then again, he is a France international striker. Back home, he is very, very popular. So I kind of see the reasoning uh, to have Olivier Giroud. But then again, you have, you know, he is 31. How many years left uh, are you going to get out of him? And for £20 million of the price sort of being touted and considering that he will be coming from a top uh, Premier League team, he probably will command the same transfer fee and the same sort of salary structure to meet Um And then again, you know, the question um, that you'd have to ask is that wouldn't it be better to get perhaps two or three uh, players, um, you know, a little bit untested or, or you know, have huge potential or kind of around the 24, 25, 26 age um, spectrum uh, with, with the money that you're willing to put forward? You know, but then again, you know, like I said, Giroud is a, is a big name. He is, you know, as it stands, whether you like him or hate him, France is number one striker um, in the national team. So it would be sort of a boon for for Marseille to get him and sort of the French stamp on the on the McCourt project as it is. Kabay would be, I think, more much more of a question mark for me, um, even though he has kind of laughed off a little bit in recent weeks that he of the rumors that he's about to return to France. But you know. In his position, certainly, there are a lot of more credible alternatives um, that would, you know, not, not just in around Europe, in, def- in Ligue 1, there are a lot of wonderful midfielders um, along the lines of Morgan Sanson that you can get a really, really good deal in. Um, and they offer sort of the potential as well. You know, you, what I don't like to be seeing at this stage is that as Marseille continues to grow, that, you know, the club are targeting 29, 30, 31-year-olds. Because that kind of sends the wrong message. How long-term is this project? I think that's the question that I would ask as well. You look at players like Steve Mounier, Riyad Boudabouz, uh, Valentin mm-hmm. Rangier, who I think have shown enough over their somewhat brief careers to this point, but to be considered as being ready to take the next step up. Well, Philip, what's, what's yeah. your take on this? Are, are Marseille doing the right thing in terms of 
presenting themselves as a say an internationally renowned team in terms of publicity by drawing these names or did we pay, pay a little bit more attention to the sustainability of this project? I'm not quite sure what McCourt is trying to do. Is he is he trying to um, get back um, uh, international players, popular international players, especially regarding uh, Kabai more than more than Giroud uh, to the club, maybe to sell a few shirts, get a few people back in, and say, oh well, there's there's um, there are, these are two guys who played uh, a major World Cup and a major European Championship. Um, and uh, just uh, to get things uh, get things going, get get the popular side of things um, um, for the courts, which you know is a strategy, just like uh, any uh, any other strategy. It could work, could uh, it could massively backfire as well. But uh, I don't particularly think that these two are the future. I think they will demand uh, much more money that is being um, touted. I'm not even sure the the players. Do want to return to Liga, um, and um, I mean, Payet did um, did did say he uh, he just uh, he just didn't like the life in London. I've never really heard Giroud Cabay say anything like that at all. So I have the same opinion as uh, for any other club. There's enough talent in uh, in Liga to keep uh, Marseille's owner uh, very happy, but maybe he doesn't see that. Maybe well. Um, I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty much convinced he doesn't see that, but I think Marseille's strategy should be to buy the kind of players Morgan Sanson is, and to uh, I mean Marseille is still a great pool. It's still uh, it's still the, the biggest club in in the country, and uh, they can uh, they, they they can uh, create um, sorry um, I mean um, train young players in and put them in a great position to to be at the club and uh, they can fork out a bit of money now that they have some to get players from other uh, other decent academies i'm thinking about Auxerre, i'm thinking about le havre so I'm, i just don't see this as being um you know the right choice but you know it is a choice that certainly seems to be the consensus there uh, just moving on now to this weekend's action. Let's start with yesterday's match. Monaco were facing a Leon sign who has had their number in the recent past, uh, winning earlier this season, and also that 6-1 thrashing towards the end of last season to essentially seal second place. Uh, but Leon, after their 120 minutes against Besiktas on Thursday, had rested several players. Uh, the leaders mm -hmm. did still manage to make heavy weather of the encounter, though. Leon dominated large stretches in the second half in particular. And Mo, for you, is this fatigue catching up with Monaco, or should something be said as well for the energetic performance of Leon's midfield? Luca Tussart, in particular, I think had a really strong match. Mm, no, absolutely. Um, I definitely think it's fatigue because they they are fast approaching sixty games um, of the season. I'm one hundred percent certain that when they were drawing up plans for this season, they did not expect to be in the business end of all four competitions or three now um, come come the end of April, and you know. The, the club are rotating as much as he can, but then again, it comes to the, you know, how, how far do you rotate? You know, the problem with Monaco in 2015 was, um, do we prioritise sort of getting the Champions League place or going far in the Champions League? And they've done this um, before as well, way, way back when, when they qualified in, uh, to the Champions League final in 2004, which sort of, you know, which sort of competition, which sort of uh, success you want to prioritise? And Jardam's having sort of, he's, he's got his cards, you know, really stacked up high. Uh, he needs to, you know, he needs to rotate well, but he doesn't. That doesn't. That shouldn't come at the uh, expense of a fantastic uh, title race. In fact, they are sitting top. So, you know, last night they dug deep. They dug deep. They weathered a fantastic and unexpected sort of Leon surge uh, in the second half um, to to get that win. And that's just credit to the players and just how how much. They really do want to be, uh, you know, champions, but also go really, really far, as far as possible in Champions League. Because at this stage, you'll just find players that are just, you know, too burnt out. Um, and you know, it's 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 it's, it's the manager's um, uh, it's, it's the manager's task to really kind of bring out the best, if not physically, because physically they are found it, but to keep them mentally sharp um, and keep the goals in sight. So it was a, you know, from that perspective, looking looking at that. I think, you know, it was a big, big result, not just on the field for Monaco, but also kind of off it in how they approach the last five, six games. It looks like nothing will un deter them. Mm. But keeping with Monaco, Philip, 
let's or sorry, keeping sorry, switching to Leon. Let, let's take a look at this. Leon now find themselves in fifth place. Uh, Philip, mm-hmm. we're yet to factor in Leon's postponed match against Bastia, but should the hosts have opted for a slightly stronger side, given that fifth place, provided they don't win the Europa League, uh, would we'll see them start their season in late July. I think that that is could be a, a mitigating factor, given that Leon are certain to have a summer of change with the features of Toliso and Lacazette. Uh, at least uh, yet to be decided. If I if I may uh, uh, draw some kind of parallel between uh, again Marseille, um, uh, they did the same thing back in 2004 when they had this UEFA Cup final against Valencia, which they which they lost. I think it was uh, 2-0 was a scoreline. Barthez was uh, was still playing, and they just said, "Okay, to hell with Liga. We don't really care about the league. We just want to be." European champions, and you've had so many. We haven't, had a, yeah, I don't think we've even had a French side so far in the competition since 2004. And I think it's pretty clear um, that um, Genesio and everybody connected with the club said, okay, this is Monaco, they're high flying, they've got European football too, um, but um, more more focus on, on this uh, Europa League because. Uh, it's not. It's not that you'll have nothing to play for because uh, now they lost their fourth place for the first time in a very, very long time. But um, if if they do win this, they don't just. They, they, it's not. It's not the same as Marseille back in two thousand and four. If they do win this, they get Champions League football, and Champions League football would uh, potentially mean Lacazette and Toulouse were staying. It would be a, a much better pull uh, in in that sense than um, and in in another scenario. Which is absolutely massive for them because then they lose these two players. Where do they go from there? It's you know it's it's very very important. So I can really understand you all not playing. Uh, well, first of all, Depay playing. I can understand uh, Lacazette not being not being played because he's injured. Gonello, uh, Gonello not playing. Van Buena not playing. Um, I I mean the um, the uh, the starting eleven was was relatively weak uh, compared to Monaco's because Monaco's was uh, pretty much their their, uh, their best eleven aside from uh, aside from the fullbacks. So yeah, I I get it, I get that from Genesio's uh, point of view. Not sure if you agree with it though. <laughs> no, I think that having the Champions League as a potential carrot, I, I still don't know if that's enough to keep certainly Lacazette and maybe Tolisso, but. I think that mm. it, it certainly does make a strong argument there that looking ahead to those matches, uh, I think Leon are probably counting on three points from the Bastion encounter as well, which would put them back into fourth place. Uh, I believe two point, they're a point behind Bordeaux right now at, the, at this moment, mm. so that would put them back into fourth. Um, let's take a look back at, at, speaking of European adventures, let's take a look back at the Champions League and Europa League and get a reaction uh, to the matches and to the draws as well. Mo, come to you looking at... Uh, Monaco versus Dortmund. Mm-hmm. It seemed like Dortmund had really got things right in the second half of the first leg of that quarterfinal, uh, playing sort of a 4-1, 4-1. But why, why? How can we defend uh, what Thomas Tuchel did? He dropped uh, Dembele. He dropped Pulisic, uh, who had been both really electric mm. in that second half. Uh, he brought in Eric Durm and. I can, we can understand Marco Royce, obviously, given his reputation and his, his experience at this level. But how can we explain this? And, how, and I know there are mitigating circumstances with the, with the bombing for Dortmund, but how much of this loss is, is Monaco's good form and how much of this loss is uh, poor decisions on the part of Thomas Tuchel? Yeah, okay. So, yeah, discounting sort of the events that happened um, aside, um, I was – bit disappointed by how Dortmund approached the second leg because, like you mentioned, it, they, it, it was a frenetic second half of the first leg uh, the week before last. And so you kind of, you know, what Tuchel needs to do, or needed to do, was kind of set his team up, you know, sort of as a continuation of how they ended the second half, you know, really frenetic on the wings, a lot of pace to disrupt and makeshift defence and a tired leg as well. And obviously in this scenario, whereas in the first leg, they were chasing sort of the deficit. In this scenario, if they were to get a goal and be positive, it kind of almost counts as a double, given the away goals rule, you know, kind of eat into the three goals that Monaco scored away from home. So, you know, you're looking at Pulisic and you're looking at Dembele to kind of start the game and really kind of rely on them um, as well as they did, you know, the week before. So I was kind of a bit dumbfounded by how sort of Dortmund approached this. Obviously, there were 
more sinister um, events that happened. The fact that the bus got delayed and the the mindset sort of collapsed apparently again, according to according to the coach. But you know, playing in sort of an awkward was it three four three three four two one formation, um, and with you know Guerrero as much as I like him and Derm on the wings was kind of you know you really do want those attacking creative players to kind of run run ragged at the um, at the at the at the Monaco defense and you know really kind of match them the likes of. You know, I really do like Monaco's fullbacks. It would have been a really good sight to kind of see, you know, against Torre and Mendy to see Pulisic and Dembele to kind of, you know, have a real battle royale and kind of, you never know. I thought if Dortmund had been more, you know, more prolific and more positive in the early stages, because I think, in, especially considering where the score, uh, what the scoreline was at the beginning of the game, that first 30 minutes would have kind of the way the tie went. Because Dortmund were more negative than expected, Monaco you know, did kind of benefit from that to kind of kill off the tie in the first in the first um in the first twenty minutes. But that's not to say, you know, Monaco really you know pounced pounced on um Dortmund's um, you know, negativity. You know, this is a, like we mentioned, this is a team that really continues to see uh, the opportunities afforded to them and so many players kind of click in and um, the, the passage of play that are being uh, uh, produced, you know, you can't really. I would say it's more down to Monaco than uh, say Dortmund's misfortune to answer your question. All right, so Philip, at this stage of the competition, there are no easy draws, obviously. But how do you think Monaco match up against Juventus, and do you give them any chance of progressing? It's a worst draw. I don't. I honestly don't think so. Um, we weren't. Uh... I'm not going to say I was completely optimistic when Monaco were drawn against Manchester City or uh, Borussia Dortmund, but um, to, to me, Juventus uh, showed what a what a big club they are by knocking out Barcelona, Swinel on Swinel on aggregates. Again, the parallel has to be made uh, with PSG, uh, where uh, Juventus went to the new camp, but you know didn't matter. They had uh, an amazing defense, an amazing goalkeeper, a great a great squad really, um, and. Just uh, just shows their mentality, their resilience. They're ahead in Syria. I think uh, the uh, the title is pretty much uh, pretty much soon up for them. So that's uh, that's a, a plus for them because they've got nothing really, uh, go nothing else going for them. And uh, they beat the side that uh, beat them in the final two uh, two or three years ago. So I just yeah, I, I just um, yeah not not overly optimistic in, in that sense. I think that Jardim will need to be uh, uh, much more tactically astute than he was against, Man against Manchester City or Dortmund, even though against Dortmund he had some, at the very, very start of the game, uh, I tweeted about uh, Mbappe playing a bit lower than uh, Falcao, but that didn't last for a very, very long time. And Monaco saw that Dortmund's uh, 3-4-2-1 was very much uh, adaptable to how they played themselves. And uh, they basically had a field day, in, especially in the first half. This just I just can't see this happening against Juventus. Uh, I see a very uh, close uh, close game, a very closed game as well. Uh, goalkeeper is not as easy to uh, to beat as Hold uh, Wavo or Roman Burki. Let's face it, Buffon is still up there with one of the best goalkeepers in the world. Def the defenders are extremely uh, talented. Again, one of the best in um, in the world. Up front is uh, Dybala is pretty is pretty decent, um, and I just yeah I'm just waiting on Jardim to uh, to uh, adapt his tactics to the to the opposition, which he will need to. Otherwise, Monaco first of all I don't think they're going to score a lot of goals, and second they're going to concede a lot. So yeah, that's what's uh, you know. Also, would you <laughs> say um, would would you say that you know because if you've looked at Monaco kind of the last. What I've noticed, especially since the beginning of April, was that mm -hmm. around about the 65, 70 minutes mark, they do drop off yeah. in terms of physical intensity. And that's just one thing that won't wash with Juventus. They really do keep going for the full 90 minutes against Barcelona, again, you know, in Serie A as well. They do really just close out matches and grind out uh, sort of the opposition. And with Monaco, every single game since, you know, I think since the top of the month in the Coupe League final, they've just really stepped off the gas. Um, and that could be, an, you know, another thing, uh, uh, another issue with fatigue and tiredness, and maybe that might be the deciding factor if it is, especially a close game. Well, the thing is, I, I, um, yeah, 
It's, it's been a long season for Monaco. I mean, they've been up to the final of the Coupe de la Ligue. They're in the semi-final against the Coupe de France. It's on Wednesday at the Parc des Princes. Uh, they have uh, played the first uh, as a group stage of the Champions League. They've knocked out two two sides, and they're playing a very uh, physical physical formation. So, of course, it's uh, of course it's starting to take its toll, and I'm actually surprised it's taking its toll so late in the season because there's what uh, seven uh, seven games to go. How much is it? Uh, they have five league matches. Uh, four, yeah, four games to go, and Monaco has five with that game in hand. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quite, yeah, I'm quite, uh, quite surprised, and you know, still, mm. still kudos to them because I do believe Monaco are going to win the title. I believe that uh, that uh, your match uh, last night was the most difficult on paper, and that uh, it will uh, basically um, Monaco will uh, win their game in hand and probably win win the league before the, the very last day. Um, so, yeah, and, and it's not it's not entirely surprising. But again, it doesn't have to be like that. Jardim can go back to being a defensive coach, which he was last season. He's fully capable mm. of doing that. It's not it's really not that hard, you know, putting players behind the ball. But uh, uh, does he adapt his tactics to uh, to Prandelli's? Um, I just can't see it because he didn't adapt it to Guardiola's, and Guardiola's not uh, not a bad manager, even though. Uh, results. He's not having a good season at all, as it as it as it is turning out. Um, yeah. yeah. Pessimistic. Moving on now, <laughs> moving on now to uh, to speak about Leon. Uh, Mo, is Leon's progress in the Europa League the result of a weak draw or beating Roma and now Besiktas? Have they validated themselves as a European level team again after a rather embarrassing last two seasons? In Europe, last year's uh, finishing bottom in the Champions League group stage, and then before that, uh, playoff elimination in the Europa League. Yeah, no, one hundred percent. I think you know, Leon have kind of done away with the reputation that you know they had in the last, I'd say, up to three seasons. You know, they've haven't haven't really had a tough draw in Europe, or a very very tough draw um, to kind of warrant the performances they've given in both the Champions League and Europa League. But this season, you, you know. Going straight uh, from the Champions League group stage, they fared really well against Juventus and Sevilla. You know, two one one big European powerhouse, the other a really dangerous uh, uh, European team full of um, a winning mentality. Um, the you know the European League holders, and then coming into this tournament, yeah, Arsenal Alkma was probably the only team aside from Dima Braga that they faced, um, and Leon rightfully washed the floor with them. You know. Um, and against the two difficult teams, they've really, really shown kind of their mettle and their worth, uh, especially when the going has got tough. I honestly thought that against Roma, they, they, that they would have suffered in the second leg, but they managed to hold on. And Besiktas away, you know, for kind of a difficult hostile environment in Istanbul is, is difficult for any team, let alone, let alone Leon. Um, and they've managed to kind of come come through that. I said at the time, if they won, I managed to survive a Besiktas. I put them as favourites uh, for the Europa League uh, trophy because you know you do look at Man United, and even though yeah on paper they do have the the best, obviously by far the you know the best team, the best players, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, but they found it really really difficult to to over uh, convincingly overcome you know average opposition. You look at the likes of uh, Rostov and Anderlecht recently. Uh, in the knockout stages, whereas Leon have, you know, swatted away two bona fide European giants, um, and they're going to be facing a third one as well. Whereas Man United go to go to Celta Vigo, um, and for me, you know, just that combination, that continuation, really puts them as favourites. And you know, it, it goes to show kind of just how seriously they've also taken it uh, this season, because not many league teams, particularly in the Europa League. Um, uh, you know, take the competition seriously and devote their resources to it. But credit to Leon for doing so. Yeah, absolutely. Philip, what about you? How, how, do, how do you see Leon matching up against a very young Ajax side? Are they favourites for you? Is this a favourable draw? Obviously, avoiding United, there's something to be said there, but... Yeah. No, I'm much more optimistic for Lyon than I am for for Monaco. I think. Uh, well, I haven't. Uh, uh, I don't watch the uh, Eredivisie every every weekend, but uh, uh, we can we can see the uh, this type of club being um, uh, more often than not 
uh, pillaged by uh, the big big clubs each time uh, there's a, a bike kid uh, coming through the ranks and they come um, quite uh, quite often i would uh, i would think hasn't been hasn't been much of the case in the past few years but anyway yeah you you must be favorites for that one hopefully uh, lacazette uh, gets to uh, gets to play i'm not sure until when he's he's out but it's yeah it's a, it's a great draw and it's a great thing to have um, to have avoided manchester united uh, because uh, that would mean Manchester United, if they do beat Celta Vigo, that would be that would be a great final to watch. That would be great on paper. I believe it would be great on the pitch as well. It can happen in, in 90 minutes. The worry is that um, you mustn't uh, feel okay. Uh, we're going to beat this guy, uh, these guy. We know uh, not. We're going to focus on the big one in Stockholm against Manchester United. Just like Manchester United shouldn't have that kind of attitude, which, um, to be honest, in France has the case um, every, um, um, by the time the draw, the draw was made, it was like, okay, so it's going to be a Lyon-Manchester uh, uh, let's play the semi-finals and see how it goes. And I believe that Lyon uh, all taken away by something like that, that they have this favorite tag and that uh, they'll probably be surprised by uh, the um, the quality of Ajax or not, but I'm, I'm a bit afraid that they have too much of a favorite tag for this one. And that's, you know, that worries me a bit. All right. So turning I'm not sure to... how, how the per perception is. You know, but it, it, it is that kind of, uh, you know, uh, it is that kind of talk um, since since the draw. So I'm not sure how optimistic or how much you agree with me, Eric, but that's just, uh, yeah, how it feels in France anyway. I'm cautiously optimistic. I don't know that Leon has struggled at times defensively this season, and I don't know that that there's, that given that IX's ability to, to, to score, uh, that that they that Leon shouldn't be worried. I, I do make Leon favorites if 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 I were put mm. to the test on it, but I I'm worried. <laughs> I, mm -hmm. I think I think I'm I'm approaching this tie as as a fan similar to how I would I would have approached the Besiktas tie. I was not confident of Leon's progression, but I was optimistic. Um, and you'd be disappointed if you got knocked out, obviously. Of course, at this stage, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, but I mean. Given that on paper the you do look superior, that would be even more, you know, mm. especially in the semis. Yeah, yeah, I think certainly. So, I, I, turning our attention now uh, to the, to League One, I wanted to mm. ask you a, a, a broader question, uh, Mo. Uh, we've mm. seen Lorient and Dijon record impressive wins this weekend, playing a more open style than we're often used to see teams in the bottom half of the table in France play. Yeah. Not Nantes rise at the table has been guided by similar principles since Conseil-Sau took over. Uh, and we've also seen more defensively oriented sides like Rennes like and Saint-Étienne uh, take a little bit of a step back this season. Do you see this as being part of a sea change in Liga? Uh, it's been somewhat dog dogged by reputation for negativity, or is this just a sort of a happy coincidence in terms of the managerial changes that these clubs have under undergone recently? Um. I wouldn't say it's a, it's a complete sea change yet. Um, I think you know there, it, it hopefully does go into in, into that direction. You know, we've, in Ligue 1, we have do have some teams that do you know choose to play football on uh, at the weekend. You know, choose to play some decent attacking uh, football to try and get a positive result and not kind of frightened. You know, just be frightened and kind of hold on to a draw by playing stale, dogged uh, football, which obviously Ligue 1 has been renowned for in the in the in the past years. But I think in, in this particular in this scenario, when you look at Lorient and Dijon, I think just you know kind of it's it's sort of last last chance saloon, and that's why they are now coming out and trying to really really open through, and that's that really down to the managers. One thing you know, I've I've been really really impressed by Lorient of late, not just because of their record, but just sort of the you know the kind of the goals they're scoring, kind of how you know how well the front four. Um, are clicking because if you do look uh, back to about five six weeks ago, they were absolutely dreadful. You know, even though even when Bernard Cassoni came in, um, he just struggled to kind of set the team up really well. But he, you know, by by mixing kind of a four four two and a, and the, the 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 traditional kind of three uh, three plays forward, he's really kind of 
of of Florian, sort of the best of the players, such you know the early Mukanjo and Waris, but also Jimmy Cabo, um, who who's been doing really really well recently, and that he's been rewarded with that by a couple of very very big results to drag them away from the bottom. With Dijon, I kind of felt like they were always like that. They're always a very stubborn team to play, um, and it's it's again you know a good uh, coincidence to see that. Certain players in the team are clicking out at the right moment. But again, that steps down to the fact that they've only got four or five games left to really solidify their future. Why hasn't this been the case over a 38-game season? You know, if we do manage to see that, then we can kind of talk about the whole general style of playing league and going in the right direction. Yeah, I, th- I certainly think we'd seen a fair amount of positivity in, in trying to play uh, play forward from Dijon at most points in the season, especially compared mm. to the other teams that were promoted in terms of Mets and, and Nasi. Yeah. Uh, Dijon have always been attractive to watch for me, but I, I think that yeah, it's it's probably a little of column A, a little of column B in terms of in terms of that. That there is more positivity, but it's also a positivity born out of desperation. <laughs> I think for yeah. a lot of these teams down the bottom. Um, so switching gears just a little bit before we finish our league on discussion, I did want to look ahead to the Coupe de France. Uh, semifinals this week, tomorrow and Wednesday. Uh, Leonardo Jardim has come out and, and said that he will play a rotated side in Monaco's match against Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, the defending champions will be missing Javier Pastore, as well as potentially Adrian Rabio and Leibn Kurzawa. Philip, should we expect a, a little bit of rotation for PSG as well, uh, given that Nice they have Nice at the weekend? Or do you look at Unai Emery's fil- feeling a full-strength side, uh, given how important another trophy could be to potentially saving his job? I'm not quite sure what I would do if I uh, if I were uh, Unai Unai Emery, because uh, yes, the uh, game at Nice is uh, extremely, really, really important uh, for PSG. It's the last uh, big uh, big match, uh, very tricky game against the team that is third. And on the other hand, you've got this semi-final. Who is uh, I say in France a final avant l'heure, um, a, a final before before being uh, being time for for the final. Um, and I, I, I do, I do believe that most people will say that this is a, basically a rematch of the Coupe de la Ligue, except that Fabinho is playing, and that uh, this is um, another chance of PSG to beat um, a Monaco side. Uh, then again, if if the uh, if PSG do win, they'll say, oh, but they were playing at home, and uh, Monaco were missing a couple of players, and they're and they're playing a second string string side, blah blah blah. Um, so I'm, yeah, I, I would, I would actually feel a full strength side for that one as well. Uh, give, uh, give Unai's, um, uh, give, um, so, so that Unai gives himself a, as much chance as possible of a second trophy, because once again, I just don't see them. Um, first of all, I don't see them winning at Nice, and uh, I just, uh, I just don't see Monaco dropping any more, any more, more points. I think uh, they'll have the games wrapped up quite early, uh, before the 70th minute, before they drop down physically. So I believe it'll be uh, quite, uh, quite full strength from PSG, aside from Pastore, obviously, who's injured, um, and uh, quite rotated for uh, for Monaco. I think. I think it's much more important uh, to win the league um, from a historical standpoint for Monaco and to be as um, as prepared as you can be against Juventus because this is, I mean, this is a French club in the semi-finals of the Champions League. It hasn't happened since uh, 2010. Lyon was it? I think it was. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just massive and uh, one one Coupe de France. I mean, you know, there's you know, there's always next season. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It's uh, not uh, not that. Um, I can understand how it's not that big for Jardim. Mo, turning our attention to the other semifinal, could you see one of Angers or Gangamp causing a shock in the final? Assuming PSG progress, who of those makes a more awkward opponent? We, can, we have seen that both of them have taken points from PSG this season, Gangamp winning at home, and I believe Angers getting a draw. Mm. I'd say, you know, I think Gangamp always a very, very tricky opponent. And the fact that they do have some sort of Coupe de France pedigree and I think much more of a better record against the top sides. I think Andre, you know, they are a difficult outfit to play at home, but this would be in the national stadium and under the bright lights of the Coupe de, Coupe de France final. So I would I would expect them to really make any sort of dent uh, if they were to face Paris Saint-Germain or even Monaco in the final. But Gangon, you know, Antoine Kumbari, decent pedigree in terms of the big matches. Gangon you know, won the French Cup twice. Um, and they're just generally a very, very tricky opponent to play. 
uh, very unpredictable kind of how they set up, especially this season. You know, they hope both home and away against sort of more themed opponents. That's when they do really come out to play and kind of make make an impact. So generally, I'd, I'd say they have more of a chance. But obviously, again, looking at tomorrow's semi-final, uh, not tomorrow, sorry, but uh, Wednesday, uh, anybody could any any could be in that semi-final could go through. Um, it, it literally is fifty-fifty. Um, you know, I, 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 you know, I just can't pick a favorite from that because it, it's an unpredictable tie. But if if Gangnam were to go through, um, I'd put them, um, you know, not totally out of uh, winning the trophy against uh, Monaco PSG, really. No, I I would tend to have to agree there. I think that. Adam and I had spoken about this the other week about speaking about Angers and, and that they've been a little bit unlucky in recent matches. I think the loss to Monaco and they showed some mm. good spirit against PSG as well. I think on form, Angers would for me be a more difficult opponent. I think that we've seen their threat from set pieces. They've got those players back from at from Cup of Nations as well. Carl Tofu-Kambi, Fomar Diadu. Mm. Uh, they've had some good performances as well from Jonathan Bamba, who's been on loan from Saint-Etienne. Uh, even against Dijon, you know, in a match they had nothing to play for. It was impressive to see them fight back and make that match 3-2 and make things a little bit nervy for Dijon. Uh, of course, they've got Shaken Doy. He's such a group of set pieces, those defenders as well. Uh, Tomas and Traore have been solid. Still some questions at fullback and in terms of consistency from those forwards, but in a final, it, they're, they're going to be dangerous. Uh, and they've been, Angers have been a tough, a tough proposition in the Cups all season. Um, so I, I shade Angers as being a more potentially dangerous opponent, but in terms of styles, and that's another problem as well, I think that how they match up against Gangomp is a little bit more problematic as well. Uh, mm. I think Gangomp had rotated to a much higher degree at the weekend and I think are, are really targeting this match, whereas Angers played a fairly full-strength side against Dijon uh, and perhaps won't be as focused on this match. Maybe they feel they're not quite safe. I'm not sure what, what the thinking there is from Stefan Moulin. But I, I would look at Angers as being a more dangerous proposition. Um, Philip, turning to some events yesterday, we saw some rather interesting matters at Saint Etienne this weekend, where a group of fans enter the stadium uh, and a match that had been supposedly set to be played behind closed doors as a means of protest against the league. They soon left. Um, there wasn't any violence or anything. Uh, they didn't want. They said they didn't want to create trouble, but merely send a message to the league. Uh, mm. Can you see their logic, or was this a foolish move on their part, uh, given Saint Etienne have already uh, been under fire a couple times this season? Well, given the ultra mentality, um, what it basically is is that uh, every time a club does get uh, does get punished for uh, whatever whatever it is, well, obviously I'm not talking about Bastia here. I'm talking about uh, a club with more reasonable with more reasonable fan, fans, a club that does not, you know, attack players uh, during during uh, pre match pre match training, is um, is basically what happens, uh, I believe, in in Germany, where you uh, where you see uh, insults being. Uh, uh, aimed at um, the authorities, so in in France it's uh, the LFP, Ligue de Football Professionnel, and yeah, each time there's a, a reclos, so a game uh, game closed uh, played behind closed doors, um, there's this kind of um, this kind of um, reaction. There couldn't really be any violence yesterday because there was nobody there. I mean, they didn't want to uh, to do anything to uh, to the players or, or anything like that. They just uh, basically, I don't really get that. I don't really get what they were trying to to, to show because it was a game uh, played behind closed doors for a reason, and um, and them 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 entering the stadium without permission just will not uh, will not help. I think uh, a lot of Things need to be done by the LFP to uh, have better communication with the ultras, um, so that uh, there's more uh, there's more peace. I mean, they don't have it in England. They have uh, well, they have some at Crystal Palace. Uh, they have it in Germany, and in Germany, the role is extremely clear. The role is that they provide the atmosphere to the stadium and uh, let the families, you know, enjoy enjoy the game. There's a bit more aggression uh, to this part of, um, of uh, football in France, and it just doesn't seem to be improving, especially this season. I, have, I, I can't really seem to remember, especially since uh, the, um, the, 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 day, the days of the Boulogne boys and Super Hotel at PSG, a season marred by so much crowd trouble. 
you had Caen, who uh, had a complete dialogue with players after um, a defeat early on in the season. You had uh, you had Bastia. You have um, uh, you, you have uh, Grand Trouble at Lyon versus Besiktas. I mean, so many, so many incidents this season. Um, something needs to um, basically needs to be done. I, I do believe maybe uh, it's uh, because of uh, the country being in in um, uh, on alert on terrorist attacks every basically every every day. That uh, maybe the, the 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 games are less less well policed. I'm, but it's you know it's it's a shame. Yeah. Mo, I want to ask, throw this to you as well. Do you think that there's something else going on here in terms of the Saint-Étienne's hierarchy? Do, you, do we really believe that security is that poor that these fans could force their way in? Is, or is Romayer, the president, being honest and saying mm. that the, the usual necessary protections were taken? You know, I'd like to think that there was nothing untoward um, because obviously Saint-Étienne would face a, you know, kind of a more of a penalty from from the LFP but I think I think you know they the necessary protection the necessary sort of security wasn't really undertaken uh, uh, just because of the fact that it was a game behind closed doors you know how much how much security would you, would you require but I think just to mention the point that Phil mentioned earlier I think the reason why sort of sanity ends uh, ultras wanted to prove a point by entering this match yesterday, and the fact that there's, you know, in the past couple of weeks, there've been so many incidents, not just in France, but also European matches in France, um, of sort of crowd trouble and crowd uh, angst. It's because fans just general displeasure at the way the LFP are really uh, impacting fans. Part of it is to do with the uh, the state of emergency that is uh, encapsulating France at the moment, but you get so you know so many. Um, so many away fans are just simply barred, you know, just in midweek, a notice is um, sent out on the LFP's website saying, uh, well, the, the visiting fans of Club A is not allowed to go to this match for no reason at all. And, you know, they will just put, okay, it's just a state of emergency. There's nothing we can do. And, you know, I really saw the fact, I really saw this in the Velodrome last uh, week with that huge sort of rude banner uh, towards the LFP simply because the Sanity and fans were barred. Uh, from attending the match. For what reason? Nobody knows. A thousand Marseille fans went to the uh, return game. Um, the return game uh, in in uh, November. And that went that part that passed out into the Marseille Saint Etienne Duche historical rivalry, but on, on the personal level they are, you know, more or less you know, there's no sort of bad blood between them. Um, so it was just it was just surprising. And on top of that, then you have the LFP banning um, Etienne for for the rain game because of what happened in the in the derby against Lyon. So all of that just you know kind of you know kind of just builds up and you just have that anger. I really I you know, don't think that San Etienne themselves condoned you know kind of what happened, but I can't really blame the fans considering how much the LFP had just simply without any reason. It might to do with police. It might have to do with police resources. It might you know it might be um, the correct thing to do, but they haven't really communicated that well. And now you've just seen clubs, most clubs, uh, not just in League 1, but also in League 2 and below, um, just, you know, having their away support just being eroded by nonchalant messages saying that, you know, away fans cannot go. I wanted to ask you both then as well. Do we think that some of the frustration is centered around the timeliness of the LFP's decisions? I mean, for me, if I were a fan... To see, I mean, the derby between Leon and since what was that? Early February, okay. So we're seeing this decision come down more than two months later. I know I understand the LFP wanted to have caution in terms of having evidence, but in today's world of digital video, given that matches are played on a Sunday or a Monday in the case of League 2, and that the LFP convenes on, on Thursday evening, do we not think that's enough time to gather evidence? Do we think also that that frustration on the part of the fans is the fact that Oftentimes, there is such a long time between events and, and the sanctions related to them. I think most of the frustration is um, that, uh, as you said, the LFP has taken a very, very long time to make their decision and taking the harsher, harsher route and uh, taking maybe the, the easy way out. 
I think a lot of the frustration is uh, a bit like when PSG, no PSG fans were allowed to go down to Marseille. Uh, there isn't any um, enough police uh, police personnel to police the game, and that uh, uh, every time the LF decision to make, they just take the harsh option and say, "Okay, no fans," which is you know a bit stupid because uh, there aren't met that many people who go to games in in France without LFP. You know. Forbidding uh, people from from attending, and this is, I I, I believe this is a, a, a very much a growing frustration from from the ultras uh, towards the authority towards LFP, saying that uh, France is not um, is not correctly run on this standpoint, and that uh, the LFP is not uh, is not having enough uh, communication with the clubs and that the clubs themselves are not having enough communication with the ultras. And we and we talk about three clubs there because PSG basically have no ultras as they let a couple of a couple of them back this season to get get a bit of that. But I'm really talking about Saint Etienne, Marseille and Lyon. I mean there's not much uh, there there are a few ultras at Bordeaux but that's you know that's just not a lot. Well and, I think um, might have a something to say, Tribune War. Again, it's nothing. You know, it's nothing personal. It's not. It's just. It's just a numbers question. I mean, uh, not, not do have uh, also they they kind of uh, they kind of protest, but you know, it's uh, it just can't really compare. I'm, I'm really talking about the big three there, um, and how they you know they they're just uh, frustrated at uh, how little uh, fun they they can have, um, and every time they have it, they're just being completely unreasonable with it. Well, I, I wanted to, to ask ask as well, Mo. The match itself, Saint Etienne went back to what looked more like a four three three than the four two three one they've tried in recent weeks. Oh. Uh, and with Marseille having drawn on Friday, a win here really could have got Saint Etienne back into the race for Europe. I know that game in hands against Monaco, but still a chance. Is Europe gone now for Lever? Uh Yeah, unfortunately to say, it's it's definitely. I think beyond beyond doubt that they will not get uh, European football next season. Yeah, you you know you do mention that the um, the game in hand is away uh, to Monaco, which for, for let's say for all intents and purposes that that will very likely not end in three points. But also kind of just it's just typical San Etienne this season. You know they get into a good position. They don't take um, they don't really capitalize on it. Ren haven't been that great. Um, in recent times, so this was a match for the taking, and they're also, you know, Christoph Gaultier is just, you know, like like you know, you mentioned earlier in your Guardian, Guardian article, which I very much agreed with. Um, I think that's just sort of the end of the road. This is just how fast an eighteen can go, really. They they just become tepid and tur- turgid, and just you know, you'd expect that this season where, okay, they 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 suffered a drubbing to Marseille. Which psychologically will have an impact in sort of this race, but that it'll make a real impact. But just the whole game itself was just sort of really, really not, not that much of a spectacle. And Christoph Gaultier is not really, you know, doesn't in, he's not really having sort of focus on his team's ills and weaknesses, but also the players. You know, he's already um, cleared out three decent names from the squad for not being um, for not really giving giving one hundred percent. Um, in the club's sort of affairs and basically their jobs. Um, so, you know, there's just a lot of sort of issues at San Etienne around and I think they're really operating as, you know, as, as unfortunate as for it to say, you know, it's it's not really, this is at full capacity. Um, and for that reason, I think that the Europa League now is surely done and dusted. Not that Marseille have got an easy run of it all, but sixth um, is about the lowest that Marseille can go. They do have um, probably one or two, you know, games left. I think if Marseille do win any one of the remaining last four games, that would definitely see that. Yeah, the players that Mo's referring there are uh, Brian Dabo, uh, Nolan Rue, and the third? Tanan. Tanan, Osama Tanan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Both of whom, I, I, all three of whom I think have absolutely disappointed this season. I, I know that, you know, Rue and Rue aren't, and Dabo aren't, uh, not necessarily electric and Tanan's struggle with injury, but I think that it would not be unfair to have expected more out of all three of those players. 
uh, ahead of the season, particularly given that Davo is expected to play a, more of an attacking role. But you know, he's not even been in the 18, even prior to this exclusion from the first team squad a lot of weeks. And it's really been just difficult season for him since his move from Montpellier. Uh, finally, I did, I think, oh, go ahead, Phelps, sorry. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's pretty clear now. Uh, Saint-Etienne, I, I, I've said it many times this season that I don't really especially want to see them back in the Europa League, uh, give it playing and uh, how often we've seen them in the Europa League. Um, but it does look like Bordeaux, Marseille and Lyon are going to be playing in the Europa League and fingers crossed maybe Lyon will be playing in the Champions League. Um, but Mo, is, uh, I mean, are Marseille ready for Europa League next season? Uh, I know that there's a big summer to come, but uh, mm-hmm. is it almost too soon and not to have uh, to already have European Thursday or, you know, uh, quite a lot of Thursdays in the first half of next season where you'll, mm. you have a lot of well, new players, uh, new organization, you know, everything. And I, I do believe that a, um, a little cozy mid-table finish and uh, have, a, have a nice pre So no these games, no games every two weeks would uh, do the club actually a lot of good. Do you agree? Oh well, I, you know I agree. There are sort of uh, you know issues to look at ahead of ahead of next season because that Thursday Sunday sort of match uh, schedule has really impacted not just teams in Ligue 1 but a lot of teams in Europe. We've seen the Ajax have sort of thrown away their their title hopes because of that sort of three day gap playing um, on a Sunday every every week. Um, it all depends on kind of just how how much. Um, in sort of how wide the, this, uh, this summer's transfer window will go. If, if Marseille not only do you need to follow this focus on quality, but also quantity. Um, we played mm. in the Europa League was last season, it's the beginning of last season, and that already had an impact. Not only, not only were Marseille you know, pretty much average in the Europa League group stage playing against some really unheralded posi- uh, uh, opposition, but the following Sunday, they, back in Ligue 1, they did not. I think they've only won one or two games out of the six. Immediately following a European, a European tie, um, and much of that is only because you know, because of the really thin squad uh, at the time, you don't have much to work with, and that's been the same in the Champions League 2013-14 as well. Um, so what Marseille has been lacking for the last two three seasons now is having, you know, not not a squad of eighteen because eighteen is too thin a squad. You really like you know like the big European teams like Paris Saint-Germain last season, not so much this season, have a score of 23 to pick from. You know, you have your 18, mm. your match day 18 and 5 that you can rotate. Obviously, no one's saying that the, you know, every player of the 23 has to be a, you know, bona fide starter. So I think Marseille would do well to keep hold on some of the fringe players from this season, like Bounassar, etc. because this might actually work out well if they were to go in Europa League campaigns, particularly if they are, if they do finish six and have to start in July, um, when half of the players are holiday, some of the, some of the incoming players haven't really, you know, gone through preseason yet uh, in the new colours. Keeping hold of the French players, you've got, you know, a lot of Marseille really actually don't even need to buy um, sort of these French players. You've got Lucas Acampos who who may be coming back uh, in the summer. You have a couple of really good young defenders in the form of Stefan Sparania and Baptiste Allo, um, and you know. These these players can form sort of part of the fringe, and it might really really help in Europa League uh, next season. But I think, yeah, to answer your question, they do. I think they do necessarily have the tools to operate, but kind of how well do they use those tools? Yeah, I think I think it is important. I, I would say as well that Europa League can be a carrot to dangle in terms of getting some of these bigger name players. Mm. Maybe not necessarily a Kabay or or a Giroud, but. If we look at an internal transfer from the from other teams in Liga to offer European football in what looks to be a consistent basis going forward, whether that is the Europa League or the Champions League, I think that's a really important thing to, to offer to be able to say, look, you're taking with us a definitive step up, even if you're not going to be able to have a ton of playing time. I mean, I think you know, we look at some of the transfers that Marseille have had, uh, the, the fees paid, I'm sure wages factor into this as well, but some of the fees that Marseille have paid have been, for me, surprisingly low. But I think that the player might be willing to make that move, those moves work, uh, given what what's on offer at Marseille. I think about the fees that the the team paid for the likes of 
well, Sanson and, and George Kevin and Kudu in particular, those two both seemed uh, to be at a bargain price for me in the recent past. That uh, Marseille didn't really well to get, bring those players in for, I think it was nine million for Sanson and a million for for Nkudu. Um fin Finishing now though with another team that is set to be playing European football next week or next season, uh, that would be Nice. They could only unfortunately draw at Toulouse, uh, and even though they face PSG this weekend, that's they're six points off of second place. That's probably the end of them hoping to catch one of those top two for the season. Uh, Philip, what does this team need to do this summer to make itself better equipped for the Champions League? You've got Eunice Belanda and, and Ricardo Pereira on loan. Uh, Will and Cipria and Alison Player coming back from big injuries. How does this team structure things? Should they keep Mario Balotelli? I think they... <laughs> some variants of this question last week and it was very hard to answer uh everything will be uh will be key the thing that will be key is uh don't uh don't sell all your best players obvious thing to say but uh try try and keep uh, most of the uh, the youth academy uh, at the club because uh it's going to be um it's going to be extremely extremely tough we saw that Fav uh, made a choice uh, we we saw that he made a choice at the beginning of the season or rather midway through I would say midway through the, the Europa League group stage, where he said, "Okay, we've got we've got we've got Schalke, we've got uh, we've got uh, Salzburg," um, and it's um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's not worth it. It's just not worth it continuing in the Europa League, and we want uh, Champions League uh, Champions League football. I honestly don't see uh, uh, French football followers saying Nice are finishing third. And they're going to do a great thing in the Champions League. They're going to go very, very fine indeed. Think that people are very um, uh, hopeful as uh, their playoff. Uh, so they won't do that the group stage. But uh, really, uh, it's uh, of European football, of big, uh, big games in Europe. Uh, ultimately, I just don't think. Will, um, it will end in a in a success and not necessarily be uh, completely um, the, like more Puglia were back uh, back in 2011. But if they don't lose, uh, let's just say, okay, um, uh, Serie, Cyprien, Plea, uh, Walter, or even 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 Malangsar, I'm saying they can have they can do something good. But you've got so much pressure because you've got uh, pre-season training, you've got Liga, you've got a Coupe de Ligue that's starting quite quite soon in France, and you've got the Champions League. It's extremely uh, difficult for a club that is not accustomed to uh, playing in Europe. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm talking about the Europa League here. I'm not even talking about the Champions League. To uh, suddenly transform itself into a very organized unit that can take in two games a week, two big games a week. Very, there are very few clubs in France uh, who are able to do that. A couple of seasons ago, nobody was able to do that. So, yeah, good, good luck, Nice. All right, what about you, Mo, briefly? Are there any specific things you feel like Nice need you address in the, in the summer window? Uh, should they make an effort to keep Pereira, make, keep Belanda? I believe Belanda's mm. clause is 9 million euro to make, make his deal permanent. No, they really should. Um, they really should kind of hang on to you know, much many of the players that have kind of propelled them to this uh, this position in Liga, and like Phil said, you know, it is it is going to be a grueling, grueling um, start of the season for Nice. And history kind of shows that teams are really not accustomed to these sort of um, situations to kind of drop off uh, next season. Very even finish maybe in the in the top six, and you know, kind of drop off to mid tape. Mid, um, Sort of mid-table, you, you have to look at Leicester, for example, um, from last year in the Premier League to this, and Montpellier as well, um, back in 2012-13. Um, so they really do need to address sort of buying not only players that can handle, uh, you know, sort of okay, the big names relative to obviously the club size um, to help them on the Champions League journey, but also um, players that you know will not replace the likes of. Seri, if, if he used to go and Alassane player, um, but players that can that they can rotate well with. And again, they would have to, like we said with Marseille, look to the Liga market to kind of 
buy up those bargains. You know, you've mentioned a couple of players like Valentin Rongier, like uh, Dionne at Dijon. That would be very, very cheap and would obviously jump at the chance to play uh, Champions League uh, qualifiers. Um, and also the, the caveat would be that, okay, if they do have a different sign 11 for the Champions League, they've got ready-made league and replacements. These are the sort of kind of markers they need to look into. Um, and I really do think that needs to, to kind of go for a double-pronged approach. Look for the players that will help you in the Champions League um, that do come from maybe the established European sides. Um, you know, like Shakhtar Donetsk, uh, Dinamo Kiev, again, where they got Belhanda would be a good place to look. Um, but look towards the league and market where they can um, kind of solidify and um, their, you know, top three, top four ranking over those two seasons. Because what, you know, the... The worst thing at this stage would be after a really good uh, two years and that Chinese money coming in, where they kind of squander it away and, uh, you know, kind of tail away to 10th or 11th next season. Yeah, I think that's well said, Mo, without without addressing too much specific targets, but definitely um, looking to bring in another striker. and I think another midfielder would make things a little bit smoother as as they wait for Lexus Cipriano and Playa to come back from very serious injuries. I think that we've seen in recent weeks that uh, Lebion himself is still recovering from injury, but he and Balotelli can't necessarily be relied upon, uh, especially if European competition is in the mix as well. Absolutely. Thanks. That's all for this week. Um, my thanks again to Mo for joining us, especially on late notice. You can follow him on Twitter at Muhammad underscore uh, Muhammad Ali, sorry underscore ninety three uh, to keep up with all of his work. Uh, for Philip Bargil, I've been Eric Devin. Do join us on Thursday from 10 o'clock UK. We're going to have a bumper combination preview show in League 2 special. We haven't really addressed League 2 all that much this season, but there's certainly some interesting storylines there, uh, the likes of uh, Strasbourg, Amiens, and, uh, and Neem being potential pr- pr- uh, promotion candidates coming back up from the Nationale in recent years. Uh, that We are going to have on three guests, Steve West, Max Quell-Tools, and Will Gain. Uh, we'll be joining myself and Adam. Uh, until then, you can follow us on Twitter at GFFN, and visit our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow our Match Zone Twitter account as well for coverage of the Coupe de, la, Coupe de France semifinals. Thank you very much, and have a great week.